It's time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hareton Audio Podcast. So on this week's episode, we're going to discuss how sort of the classic rock sound that everybody knows and a lot of people really love from like the 70s, 80s, I mean, even 90s and 60s, it's sort of been very omnipresent. But then there's this assumption that like that classic rock sound gets overtaken by a lot of the other subgenres like indie and metal, and it sort of fades away a bit as it gets into the 2000s, although there are notable bands sort of carrying the flag. But the real point that I think when you actually listen through some of the bands is that it's sort of that classic rock sort of sound the way that all the chords and the songwriting sort of works with the attitude seems to be almost more prevalent than ever, but it's just not labelled as classic rock. Some great examples of this that I have noticed is bands like Ghost, um, particularly songs like Spillways, where they actually get like Joe Elliott from Def Leppard to feature on it because it's that much of like a nod in that direction. There's also Mammoth, WVH, which is um, just really, really fantastic. This is um, Eddie Van Halen's son, Wolfgang, and it's just incredible, like basically like classic rock, even though it's not on the surface, it may not look like classic rock, but when you, when you actually listen to songs like Distance, that it screams like classic rock, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think also just a general rock sound has been skewed over the decades. So you have a lot of people who like, say, like U2 is a classic rock band, but obviously U2 pioneer a lot of things that created like the next few decades. Of like indie and alternative. indie and alternative and the things that Edge did and the way that they constructed the song sort of like pushed people to go into a, a, a less like, say, riff solo driven environment and more of like a mood sort of soundscape environment and yeah i suppose when you listen to a song like distance it almost it almost has all those sort of good u2 elements but then you have that classic rock backbone in the production and the guitar work would you agree with that yeah because like as you say it's weird because u2 is a band that definitely in our thoughts they are classic rock, but they also become not classic rock. They also, they define a modern rock sound that is not, like, it's not the same, is it? It's it's a completely different approach. Yes. You're relying, instead of relying on, like, big chords and, and like, um, distortion and stuff, like, a lot of U2 songs are clean. A lot of them rely on heavy amounts of delay for syncopated rhythms and stuff, and... And a lot of them as well, like like particularly when you get to like pop and acting baby, they're sort of coming from a different world in terms of like pop production and dance and stuff. So even though I would still say like you two are a quintessential classic rock band, on paper they're not really, Ali. Yeah, because they don't fall into those tropes that bands like Van Halen and like you know, any of the 80s hair metal bands to the 70s classic rock bands like Boston and Foreigner, they don't seem to hit those, like, expectations, like we say, you know, big riffs and solos. U2 has riffs, but the riffs aren't the same, like, chuggy. 
and kind the, of riffs. The solos definitely aren't the same. The way Edge punctuates solos, you would not expect to hear like a Eddie Van Halen or Brian May or anything like that. I mean, I, even like Jimmy Page, and I think he Edge is inspired by Jimmy Page, but he doesn't play like that, does he? He plays in a very unique manner, which then you hear people like um, Coldplay then come off of, and a lot of other bands sort of interpret the way you two structure songs, which is, is one of the, I would say, it's one of the big divides. And there's probably other players involved, but you two definitely act as like a catalyst in that change from what, what like you say, like classic rock being like, bands like Boston and Queen and and um, like Creedence Clearwater Revival, this, this more rooted in sort of the blues and rooted in rock and roll, it changes to being more rooted in like almost like pop. And I mean, it, you hear it like even in bands like Walk the Moon, this like U2-ism. Yeah, that, you that, could almost call it like a U2-ism in music, like when they, they do certain sort of stylings and certain phrases and it's like you say it's it's things like say with or without you you know the the um it's dancing build, yeah the build up to the fake out not solo is what a lot of people sort of like emulate it's almost like um its own version you know, like it's, it's a archetype of song like say i want you she's so heavy by the beatles yes. where people will reference that specific song countless times yeah and with or without you is one of those types of songs where people will say let's do literally some people will just do the chord progression well it's what one five six four i believe and then there's a lot of dancing about on the um sort of suspended sort of run where you go from like suspended fourth to the third to the suspended second or one of the chords normally one of the chords that the first or the fifth or something that is harmonically like very pleasing because i mean the reason why they do it and again we say that city of angels by 30 seconds to mars yeah great example. prime example of of a band doing that u2ism and that it works because it works. It harmonically, it sounds fantastic, especially with clean guitars and, and delays and stuff, or lightly crunched guitars. It really does work. And back to sort of the centre of why I was saying that there's this this break where because obviously classic rock is classic rock for a reason. It is a lot less common now to hear that sound set, those movements, and that overall sort of feeling. Whereas I do feel like, obviously, there's there's bands that are the exception to the rule. Bands like The Darkness. Yeah, yeah. Bands like The Struts, which are a, sort of a newer version, really, of what The Darkness does, where they're, they're on that, that classic rock bandwagon. But I'm not talking about the bands that are, like, trying to be classic rock. I'm, tra- I'm just talking about, like, just bands that are out there so like, you're saying like there's there's a division as well in revival rock bands and just rock bands trying to do cutting edge music that then starts to sound like classic rock yeah because yeah. like like the struts in the darkness they are deliberately trying to be that revival they're, they're paying homage to those bands that they like like say thin lizzy for the darkness and queen yeah. sort of mixed together for both I or say, say greta van fleet is sort of like paying homage to led zeppelin yeah 
Um, so I've heard. I don't really listen to Greta Van Fleet, but they but definitely do. Though. They definitely <laughs> do. Um, but um, like, whereas what I'm saying is like, you 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 hear like John Mayer, and he's doing this like on Wild Blue. He's doing this Dire Straits thing, and and it's in places you don't expect. I know John Mayer's like not a brand new artist, but he definitely, you know, he's a lot newer than. I mean, a lot of the classic rock bands, if you know what I mean. Like, we're not necessarily talking about bands like Winger doing like brand new albums and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Because they, the interesting thing when classic rock bands continue, similarly to, I mean, you 2 and Bon Jovi are great examples of this, they change. Like, they don't sound like they did in the 80s. And that's the same with bands like Europe, where they do albums like Last Look at Eden, it's fantastically forward thinking. But, you know, it sounds like Europe, but it doesn't sound like Europe in the 80s. There's it's also a like a common thing with a lot of classic rock bands where they'll push the envelope, they'll get more and more forward thinking to a point, and then they rein it right back to classic sort of sounds. Yes. And like Europe with Last Look at Eden is a great example of that. They seem to be pushing this incredibly like modern sound and then they went back to organs and, and sort of like that bluesy roots yes. sort of thing and went, you know, but I would love to see like a last look at Eden 2 sort of yes, style album. I would as well. Because like you say, it's like what what is the next sort of form of rock? Like, because it keeps getting sort of like capped off and then sort of, or, or discontinued or morphing into a different genre as it opposed can to its split original in such an aggressive way a bit like the way a lot of the metal like metal that comes to mind being like pop evil and bring me the horizon where they are doing very very extreme production and fascinating stuff but that you would not call that a continuation of classic rock in any sense because it is metal it's completely different and it's very modern metal but some examples in my opinion of this classic rock sound sort of bleeding into modern bands but not in a not revival bands not in ways that are obvious are overcome by nothing but thieves with the massive guitar solo the the chords and everything it's sort of it's got that memorable chorus it's got that arena rock feel to it that has you just like like you say the combination of the the tempo the way the guitar solo is structured and then the, the all the songwriting as well. Like the, yeah. the, the message of the song is just too overcome to, to be better. And that's a very classic rock sentiment. You know, it's not classic rock lyrically doesn't tend to talk about feelings as much. You know, it's not, yeah, yeah. that's, that's what a lot of modern rock does. And another example of this classic rock thing is like, you hear bands like the strike doing this really big, like, 80s like rock pop thing that that is really like accurate but again they're just bubbling about i don't believe that they're any sort of revival band but they're popular because they do this sound and they do it to to such a degree that it's got like a a classic fan base essentially so where would you say the 1975 sit in this argument honestly it depends on the song <laughs> so yeah. definitely like when you think about songs like um oh caroline for example oh caroline happiness i mean oh caroline's a great example of this exact thing again like, the Turtle style yeah. of music and they're not 
I would not call the 1975 a revival band. They may they may draw a lot from the 80s in particular, but you hear songs like I Like America and America Likes Me, and obviously a lot of the songs at the end of Nerds are extremely forward-thinking and really throughout Nerds on a conditional form, that is, for anybody who doesn't listen regularly. But um, the 1975 are very guilty of doing this classic rock sound and just having it be like a pop song and it's songs that get played on radio as well. But it is that classic rock thing. But nobody would call the 1975 a classic rock Because they're leaning more towards the radio singles that bands like Toto and Foreigner put out where it's more about the song and less about the guitar. Like yes. say Africa by Toto, people say it's a classic rock song. The song's not really a classic rock song. The, it's a song by a classic rock band. Like there is no chuggy guitars. There's no massive guitar solo. Most of it's done on the keyboards for yes. Africa. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's that sort of argument, I would say, because obviously like the 1975 draw a lot from 80s pop as well as 80s rock. But like you say, when you think about If You're Too Shy, it is more like that sort of arena rock sound set, but obviously played by those bands like Starship, where they was relying on yes. synth basses and sort of like it skews it from being what you would say, what you could argue is classic rock to classic sort of 80s pop. Yeah, but it's, it's as you say, it's weird because they bleed together in such a way where you want to be able to say that a band like Starship and a band like Toto are different, but they're really, when you put them down on paper, they're very, very similar. Yeah, because this is the argument with Genesis. Invisible Touch, people would argue, well, it's Genesis, it's a rock song. It's not a pop song. But everything it's a about rock it song. screams pop. Yeah, because yeah. it's the, the, the orientation of the entire production is very, like, you know, electronic drums synth bass sort of just a, a smattering of guitars that really aren't carrying invisible touch at all catchy chorus and once again genesis are a rock band doing pop songs in the 80s therefore yes. it's classic rock not classic <laughs> pop because yeah. they're a rock band doing pop music. I suppose the real dilemma, and this is why people keep trying to say genre is dead, is because how can you police what one genre is? I mean, the actual walls of the genres are so blared, but you can still draw comparisons, because at the end of the day, all music is comparable. Even if they are genreless, even if the band's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a genreless artist, I don't really deal in any sound, you can listen to their single and derive a sound from it. Like, you can say, well, obviously, you may not use a genre, but it definitely sounds like New Jack Swing or, like, hip-hop or trap or whatever. Mm. So it's an interesting thing. I mean, we Taylor Swift is another great example of this because, like, on Speak Now, Taylor's version, it is very, like, country rock pop. Like, all the way through, there's a lot of guitars, distorted vocals, the songs are all played by bands, which is a lot more, it sounds really silly, but it's a lot more of a rock approach than a lot of the rock bands who tend to make, you know, songs on computers. Let's say, like, um, Madness by Muse, for example. Yeah. With all the touch strip yeah, electronic you, you guitars Yeah, you compare that, which is equivocally like a massive 
stadium rock band yeah. to Taylor Swift, who is, you know, we all know she's a pop artist, but she's ultimately derives from country. You compare that to Speak Now, and by comparison, Speak Now is way more rock than Muse would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is a weird comparison. Particularly if you say using the second law as an example, where you have, say, follow you or me. Follow me. Follow me. Um, Great song. Big Freeze and then say, like I say, um, Madness. They're, they're sort of not pulling... They're, they're in a rock. The actual compositions are very rock, but the sound design yes, is sound. very electronically forward. Yes, and Muse, again, very guilty of using U2-isms, particularly on Madness. I'd say on Big Freeze as well. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, follow, follow Me, literally the end is... Oh, like the U2... It is a U2-ism, oh, is the end. I mean, we're going to... This is all going to be like trying to coin U2-ism as a music musicology term yeah, yeah i think it should be i think there's there's merit to that and if we do a question it will be should we use the term u2ism to describe because the thing is like like we say with u2 is u2 get a bad rap because they're a very popular band and a lot of people like them and when people well a lot of people like a band a lot of people are vocally not too happy about that band because they get fed up of seeing them it's like that you know, everybody Over always exposure. Everybody always roots for the underdog. You always want the people who are at the top to lose, don't you? You know, that's like it's almost human psychology to an extent. Um, so yeah, you see bands like say say Nickelback, Imagine Dragons, and U two. They get they get put in the same boat, even though they're massively popular bands with huge fan bases. They get a lot of specifically online hit or like you know snobby music star hit. I mean, I would I would say in like just just shy of 1989 coming out, I definitely think that's how a lot of people talked about Taylor Swift. Yeah, 100%. There was, well, she's in band here. Uh, she hasn't crossed to England properly yet. Well, you know, nobody listens to her, but you was like, well, somebody must, because yeah. obviously 1989 came out and it was a different story after that. But um, it'd be interesting since... Obviously, we we was exposed to her in the UK, where she's you know nowhere nowhere near as well known in her early albums as she will have been in America and maybe other regions. It'd be interesting to see if that was a different experience in America. Well, yeah, because whenever an artist switches genre, they'll lose a percentage of their original fan base, and that's the problem that a lot of say like coming back to classic rock a lot of classic rock bands didn't want to incorporate uh, disco or synth, synth elements because they didn't want to be branded a disco band and disco and rock was feuding at the time. And, you know, you have songs like I Was Made For Loving You by Kiss. It's a disco song. It's yeah. a disco song by a rock band. Therefore, it is a classic rock song. Yeah. As far as a playlist is concerned. Yeah. It's, Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's a weird... It, it makes you stop and think because you go, well, what, what's more important, the song and the band? But I would argue the band is the marketing and the, so the band defines the genre. So even if it is a disco song, it's by a rock band. So yeah, it's a rock song. So yeah. that's, that's bizarre in itself. I mean, how many... I suppose this may be more applicable with some of the pop artists, say like Michael Jackson, Prince... Um, Elton John, people like that, yeah. who are more musical shape shifters in that sense. 
Um, and there's a lot of people who occupy that space. You Maybe you wouldn't say, if they do a certain album, you wouldn't say it was a set genre because of who they are. But definitely with bands, you do. Now, the thing with Kiss is because of the way Kiss look, you look at Kiss doing a disco song and they look like a rock band with all the makeup and yes. the, the massive axe guitars and, and all the black. So... Obviously, you're going to say, well, the song doesn't really matter. I'm looking at a rock band playing yes. a disco song yeah. with guitars. Therefore, it's still a rock band. Do you, do you know what I'm saying so, like with this comparison? Yeah, but do you think that this comparison is limited to groups? Because if a, if a group like Little Mix did a rock album, people would probably still say, well, it's probably not a rock album, it's well, pop. But if Miley Cyrus, which she did on a... Um, electric Hearts was it electric or elastic? Pla- I feel like it was Plastic Hearts. Plastic, yeah. Do plastic we need sound? I will check now. This. Whilst you're looking at it, I was going to say Demi Lovato. She is redoing a lot of her classics, like Sorry Not Sorry, featuring Slash from Guns of Roses. She is literally doing rock versions of her songs. Now that is different. Now can I just we'll just. Jump back to Miley Cyrus. So it is Plastic Hearts, just to check. Couldn't remember. That was uh, my brain there. But that, would you call that, would most people call that a rock album or a pop album? I would argue, this will, this is very close to where Dolly Parton is as well, um, with her new album. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Would you call it a rock album or a pop album? I don't know. I feel like I would call it, I want to think of it as a pop album, but from the songs I've heard... I'd still probably go for pop album, wouldn't you? Even though it's marketed as a rock album. Because she is she is using a lot of rock feel and stuff, but at the end of the day, it's still coming from a pop background. Is a, this where the mixing makes all the difference? Well, obviously yeah, because obviously it's mixed as a pop the, artist. The thing is, is when you're a solo singer, from definitely from a fan from from say an audience perspective right the the way the music gets mixed has a lot to do with it say prisoner by Miley Cyrus and Dua Lipa right the guitars are way back in the mix they are and that makes a massive difference they are there they are present but the bass is a lot louder the drums are a lot louder and the vocals are a lot louder and that is the difference. Even though that album has the rock attitude, the rock image, all the album cover, all the music videos, they're trying to say this is a rock album, your brain, when you hear the songs, the way they're mixed, is telling you this is it's a pop. poppy rock yeah. album, but it's mainly a pop album with rock influences. And that's all to do with the dynamic of the mix. It's like shoegaze. Like I'm looking at... Amnesia by um, M83. M83. And the thing with shoegaze is that it sounds like shoegaze because you can't hear anything. You just yeah, hear everything. You hear everything all the time. And it's murky and you're having to search for the what's, where does the guitars end and the keyboard start? Do you know what I mean? That's the thing. That's what makes it sound like shoegaze. And that's why mixing is so integral to the way the genres are. That a lot of the rock bands they can't do 
a sincere piano ballad if they tried. Yes, because the guitar changes. and the band come in and then it changes well, the full direction. Say, great example of this, Cry Like Boys Like Girls. The guitar is in the mix for, what, maybe 30 seconds? Yeah. It completely shifts the tone of the song. Yeah. It comes across, even though it's all a very sincere, like, vocal piano ballad and because and of... Um, because of the singer's range in Boys Like Girls, it's like, really comes across as it could go either way. But yeah. when that band section comes in, you go, no, this is definitely a rock band. Yeah, because it's the way it's the way it's mixed as well as the way it's played. Because that, the way that's mixed, the guitars punch you in the face, as do the drums. Like, there's, they, there's no getting around it. It's the same way, like we talk about, with festival performance. When you have a singer a pop singer and they've got a session cat band who do the same type of you know big session drum fills and stabs and, and they play everything big on lead intro, guitar and it's all done in the same way as any other it could be Jason Derulo could be anybody the band they're so good at playing that they almost you almost forget that they're there because they always have the same I don't know whether it's the way session musicians get taught or whether it's just the standards to prove that they are so good at what they do that they can hit like a triple fill, miss the one, everybody hit it on the two or whatever, and then you go to the big finish. It's just that sort of thing. You know, you, you always hear the same type of drum fills, guitar solos, and just general stuff from session bands. Whereas if you have an actual unit band... This don't play like that. No, they tend to be... A lot of them will be sloppier, but it's not sloppy in terms of poor technique. It's it's more attitude that comes across. And playing style, individual yeah, playing like style. uniqueness, Because session musicians have to be so versatile that they can play anything, but they're so good that it's almost like a detractor for the personality of the band. Yes. Because they... It, you know, it sounds like a silly thing, really, but... They, they have to be able to dial in whatever they need to do. And they tend to, like I say, just from my observations, when you watch, say, festival performances, the solo singers, backing bands, tend to all do that same type of arrangement, regardless of who it is, yeah. and whether the song, it, it could be Stormzy, and they'll still do it, because yeah, we've seen do, it, yeah. like they're on award shows, they still do that same style of thing. And that's like when a rock band go up, say like when Red Hot Chili Peppers go up on an award show, they just sound like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They don't sound like anybody else because that's the way they play together. It's you know very I mean? true. It's, I, I do know what you're and saying. And this also goes into that rock sound, that classic rock sound, is that typically bands will have a way of playing. And even if they swap out two of the members of the band, it still sounds like that band for the most part. I mean, there's only one Would example you? I can think of with Tom Petty that specifically wanted a drummer who played different a different field entirely yes so obviously the albums after the original drummer left have a slightly different feel would you say though that this same argument applies to a band like 30 seconds to mars which part of the argument the fact that they can swap members out or lose members and it still sounds like them i mean i would argue it still does sound like 30 seconds to mars but it also sounds like they've completely changed genres. But I would argue that when you're listening to like the new songs, like Get Up Kid and Life is Beautiful, 
ultimately you can still hear that band like in there yeah and once again when they play live they don't have session musicians doing those session musician things because it still sounds like that band and they don't have any they well they just have it we're assuming all on tracks well there's one guy doing something but I, there's a, definitely some tracks uh, um, involved but like i say once again all speculation we yes. don't know we're just speculating we're just talking about things we notice and things you know like common trends you'll see when say seeing bands on festivals or listening to music in general you can only draw comparisons from what other people have done but it's just one of those things where that's why i think a lot of those pop singers doing rock albums it doesn't feel like a traditional rock album because at the end of the day they've got a bunch of people in to to play a certain way but then right at the end of the chain typically their whoever mixes it will mix it in more of a pop form factor definitely for radio and then that's what it that's what changes the genre even though you might be able to change the fader layout turn the guitars up turn the keyboards down or whatever and suddenly it sounds like a rock track i mean i i would say a skilled enough mixer could take any set of stems and with additional bits of production flip it into any genre because that's that's what people do isn't it that's that's how you end up with these albums i mean a lot of the bands go into the studio and then they're like well i've got this song and they play it on a guitar and it comes out and there's no guitar in it you know it's it's it completely changes and um i suppose that's the skill of mixing and songwriting and that's what that's what defines, I suppose, artists who see themselves in a box and artists who don't see themselves in that box. Like we say about being more open to genre experimentation, I'm sure when Maroon 5 go into the studio, they don't say, well, we need to be able to go out and play this exactly the same live. They don't They don't care. I mean, they probably can play it live because they're that well-versed at playing like pop and, and all sort of stuff. the tools are there, whereas when Queen was in the studio, to replicate that live, they... they they didn't have like time code syncs on all the lighting shows and every single backing track, you know. But Queen well, could play Bohemian Rhapsody now if there was, say, in their peak, say like Eights is Queen or whatever, playing now, they could have everything on clicks, all the opera on the backing tracks, whereas they felt like they couldn't do that. But maybe that's because they didn't want to rely on tape machines. Well, I think it's because it was less common. So if they went and did that bit on a backing track, people would have probably thrown cans at them and stuff and said you you know you're not yeah you're fake because it's just more accepted now and that's the main difference i mean one of the uh, one of the main examples i can think of is when they talk about barbara o'reilly them having that keyboard on a backing track and, and it talk, always ha- going wrong and having a tape about, machine thrown at the engineer and stuff because it always went wrong well basically. technology just didn't there i mean i wouldn't i don't think anybody wants to rely on the tape machine especially not if you're doing massive venues yeah once again tape has flutter and wow yeah and it moves and if you're drumming to that tape it's not going to be on the grid as you would say so it's going to fluctuate and then you need like say keith moon did headphones gaffer tape to your forehead to make sure that you can hear what the tape machine's doing and then it's just very clunky or it was when they was doing like that live when they talked about it i believe it's on a classic albums they talk about it and uh yeah it's tough well that's been our conversation originally about classic rock but more about genre in general do you agree or disagree um you know 
I think we've covered some interesting sort of generalizations that I think a lot of people have when they listen to music or just when they watch like a live performance. And yeah, let us know what you think in the uh, in the Q&A and everything. Right, I've been Peter. And I've been Mark. Thanks for listening. <laughs>